and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Who are the legal observers in green caps and vests who show up whenever the left is engaged in a public demonstration? They are probably members of the National Lawyers Guild, a radical left association of attorneys, law students, legal workers, and jailhouse lawyers. Joining me to discuss the NLG is my colleague Robert Stilson, who recently wrote an in-depth history of the group for Influence Watch and CapitalResearch.org. Robert, welcome back to the Influence Watch yeah, podcast. Yeah, thanks, Mike, for having me. So let's start with National Lawyers Guild. Who are they and what do they do today? Today, they operate as a 501c4 nonprofit organization. Um, They also have an affiliated 501c3 charity that uh, accepts tax-deductible donations and and, um, funnels money to them. But but, um, primarily, they're an association of attorneys, uh, law students, and legal workers who sort of also double as a political activist group, a far-left political activist group. And so as far as what they do, I think what they're mainly known for is is protest support. So um, you mentioned the green hats. They'll be out um, whenever there's a sort of a left-wing protest that's uh, going on. If they're invited to come, they'll come and observe the police, but not the protesters, and provide... um, before the protest, provide training on rights, tactics, strategy for the protest. And then afterwards, if any of the protesters are arrested, they try to connect them to uh, legal defense resources, maybe bail funds, sort of provide support through the um, criminal justice system. Um, and, and I think that's probably what they're mainly known for today. So where did they come from? How did they originate? And what were some of their early activities? Yeah, the guilds, it's quite old. I mean, it has its origins in the 1930s, I think 1936, 1937. And it was originally uh, founded as, you know, then the, the American Bar Association, the main uh, professional association of attorneys in the United States was, was considered quite conservative. And there was a desire on the part of some left-wing attorneys in, in, at, during this time. So this is the New Deal era to, uh, create an alternative bar association for, for left-wing attorneys. And that's sort of what led to the creation of the National Lawyers Guild. And at the time, um, the American left was not only, you know, the Roosevelt New Deal liberals, but it also, you know, by American standards, at least um, a relatively powerful uh, communist party. And so there were a number of, of communist attorneys who were affiliated from with the guild from the very beginning. And, and that's how it got its start. You you mentioned the associations with the 1930s era communists. Uh, What are what were some of those associations? Yeah, I mean, I don't. So it's sometimes you'll hear the the term communist front organization, communist front group getting thrown around to describe the National Lawyers Guild. And I think that's kind of how you uh, in that era, that depends on kind of how you define that term. I mean, it was not. The guild was never controlled by the Communist Party, at least not that I've ever found. But there were a number of communists who were members of the guild. It was largely allied with and aligned with the goals of the Communist Party. And, and, and some of the leaders of the guild were, were communists during this time. And it actually prompted kind of a, a, a dispute. I think it culminated in late 1939, early 1940, where a lot of these New Deal this was this was this was during around the time when Hitler and Stalin were in alliance to partition. Very much, yeah. This is during while while the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact was in force. Um, so yeah, exactly. This is when um, sort of these New Deal liberals that had been part of the guild's founding uh, generation 
uh, kind of saw the writing on the wall and tried to purge, I guess is the right word, uh, the communist from the guild, or at the very least, make the guild. And, and, and this is in, and this is in part because the Communist Party USA was was a front group for Moscow. It, it, effectively, it was. It was directly controlled by Moscow. It took its orders from Moscow. So anyway, they were unsuccessful at um, making the guild anti-communist, and so they all resigned. All these liberals, and that left the guild, you know, very much weakened in terms of membership numbers, but also uh, relatively more communist than it was prior to that. Mm-hmm. And then, so then, uh, obviously in 1941, uh, Hitler invades the Soviet Union. Later in 1941, the United States gets into the war. How does NLG deal with that? Well, after Hitler invaded the Soviet Union, I think that was June 1941. Yeah, June, June um, 1941. So by October, I believe it was, and this is prior to Pearl Harbor, this is prior to the German declaration of war on the United States, um, the Guild is very pro-intervention, very much advocating for American uh, Western intervention in World War II, primarily because they were worried at that time, it looked to most people, most observers, that the Soviet Union was going to fall to Nazi Germany. And that was the primary concern for American communists. And the Guild, as a you know, part of that same world, I guess you might say, um, was was very much pro-interventionist at that time too. So then, then obviously, then World War II breaks. You know, the U.S. gets into World War II. Uh, war goes on. War ends, and that kicks off what would become the Cold War. How does uh, National Lawyers Guild? Where, where is where are they in? among the left as the Cold War is developing? Well, the Guild doesn't like the idea of a Cold War to begin with. They want close cooperation between the United States and the Soviet Union right after the end of the war. Um, that's not the sentiment of the American people um, or, or Congress. And it's not the sentiment of the Democratic Party led no, by Harry Truman. It's, it's that's very much a, 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 fr- a, fringe, a fringe view. So um, I think the Guild... Gets its, you know, it's obviously it opposes things like NATO and the Marshall Plan and, and these uh, geopolitical decisions that have to be made right at the end of the war. But it attracts its most, uh, I guess, prominence or notoriety, you might say, for defending individuals who are accused of being communists in um, so the late 1940s, early 1950s. So people like this is the House on American Activities Committee and Senator Joe McCarthy. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and, yeah, and the Guild itself was investigated um, September 1950, I believe it was, or at least 1950. The um, House on American Activities Committee releases this report that says the Guild is the, um, I think they call them the, the legal bulwark of the Communist Party and, and um, basically accuse them of being a subversive a communist front organization. And then... So, I mean, obviously the McCarthy hearings, of course, devolve into the Army McCarthy hearings, which sort of discredit McCarthy in the eyes of the public. How serious were the connections between the NLG and communists? I mean, was this just, you know, these are far left guys and far left guys are being accused of being communists and everybody gets a lawyer in our system or were they actually ideologically sympathetic? You know, I think that there was a range at this point. Um, there were definitely, I mean, it's been documented that there were communist party members who were in leader, leadership positions in the guild. But then, you know, if you think about the one, of the, in fact, you know, the most famous exchange probably that the guild was involved with during the McCarthy hearings was the, have you no sense of decency, sir exchange. A lot of people don't know that, but, right. um, 
you know, that exchange with people, which people are familiar with stemmed from an attorney at a law firm who had been a member of the guild in law school. And McCarthy used that connection to, uh, he brought it up to the attorney he was talking to at the army McCarthy hearings and, um, you know, tried to use that to say, you know, this, uh, this attorney's got a member, a member of his firm who is a member of a communist front group or, or something to that effect. And the attorney who was at the hearings responded, you know, have you no sense of decency, sir? You know, at long last, have you no sense of decency? And that's kind of the famous exchange that a lot of people say ended the McCarthy era. Yeah, in, the, in, the, in, the potted, in the potted school textbook history, that's where McCarthy Exactly. Down. Yeah. And so a lot of people don't know that it was the National Lawyers Guild was the connection that precipitated that exchange. So during the, the second Red Scare period, uh, what was the National Lawyers Guild taking on important cases that were related to the radical left? Yeah, guild attorneys were. Um, yeah, attorneys who were affiliated with the guild were, were some of the most prominent defenders of people being prosecuted uh, for various communist adjacent you know, crimes. I'm thinking of the Rosenberg cases were defended by guild attorneys. The, the spies, Julius mm-hmm. and Ethel Rosenberg is who I'm referring to, the nuclear secrets case. Uh, the atomic secrets, um, the Smith Act trials, which I think those were the Communist Party members who, um, I think, uh, advocating violent overthrow of the government, something to that effect. They were defended by guild members, so they were one. The National Lawyers Guild really attracted attention as being some of the, the very few lawyers who would take those cases on, given the climate of the political climate at the time. Mm-hmm. So, after. You know, after McCarthy, after McCarthy's downfall, um, the where, where does the guild go as the sort of civil rights movement and the new left rise to prominence? Yeah, so McCarthy by the mid nineteen fifties, we've McCarthy is sort of exiting the stage, but the guild has been, you know, greatly diminished from a, a membership standpoint. I think by the mid nineteen fifties, you're talking nationwide five or 600 members. And it kind of maintains this low level of influence through the ni- into the 1960s. But then in the early 1960s, what do you, you have the civil rights movement. And the guild becomes very active in the civil rights movement in the early 60s. In fact, that makes it its primary mission, like 63, 64, Freedom Summer in Mississippi is very involved in, in helping with that. And through these activities, it begins to attract new attention for itself, especially among younger activists who see it doing this work on, in the civil rights movement. And these activists are what we would now refer to being members of or are affiliated with the new left movement, Students for a Democratic Society. And through that, it begins to membership begins to grow again by the mid-1960s. And it becomes identified as sort of a uh, with the new left movement by this point. It's very different than than it had been identified with the old left, you know, in the 1940s. Yeah. So the, 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 this is as, again, SDS and, uh, you know, those other movements are sort of sort of supplanting the Communist Party of the United States as the uh, as the leading edge of the radical left in the U.S. Right. That's right. Um, so could you go into some of those associations with SDS that... Uh, that National Lawyers Guild had? Sure, yeah. I, I mean, they vote, I think it was in 67 um, or 66, uh, mid-1960s, the Guild votes to make itself the legal arm of the movement. When they say the movement, they mean the new left movement, SDS. Um, mm-hmm. And so many of these uh, Guild members are young and affiliated with that. But what you see, interestingly enough, is um, 
in the late 1960s, early 1970s, there's sort of a splinter group of the, of SDS called the Weather Underground, much, you know, an extremist violent group. And what a lot of people don't know is a lot of people are familiar with, for example, Bernadine Dorn, who's one of the leaders of the Weather Underground that split from SDS at this time. Um, she was connected to the Guild. In fact, she was elected um, student organizer. I think it was at 67, she became the Guild's national student organizer. But what's even, I think, less well known is that in, in early 1970, at the Guild's National Convention, you know, Dorn, Bernadine Dorn spoke on a, on a panel at that convention. And this is exactly, I mean, down to the month, right at the time that she's serving as a mem- as one of the leaders of the Weather Underground. And she wasn't the only one either. A couple other um, Weather Underground members were affiliated with the Guild. And what's even more interesting, I think, and I don't think this is why they know neither, is that um, the, the source of funds for the Weather Underground, while they were kind of hiding and off the grid, the most important source of money for them were attorneys, uh, radical attorneys, many of whom were affiliated with the guild. And um, uh, journalist, I think Brian Burroughs, his name, wrote a book about this where he identifies a number of them who were the most important sources of, of funding for the Weather Underground during this time. So it's, it's really interesting, actually, how that, um, how that came about. So then, you know, in the mid-1970s, the Weather Underground sort of fizzles. Uh, you know, there are FBI investigations which don't lead to charges because of, uh, in, in, in large part because of misconduct by the FBI. Uh, and then, so where does the, where does the National Lawyers Guild go in the, you know, in the 80s and 90s and today? How do, how do they evolve to where they are now from the end of the Weather Underground SDS? Yeah, I think, um, so you've got a few different uh, currents that we have to go through. I, the first thing you have to resolve the conflict between the old and the old left and the new left. So I'm talking about the old line, you know, communist party member uh, of people from the forties and fifties, they have to merge with the, the new left folks, the activists from the sixties. And they sort of, um, they do this throughout the 1970s and, and um, kind of consolidate the guild around that. And then they become more internationally focused. They're still doing the protest to support that they developed in the 1960s. They're still, um, they still do that to this day. But there becomes a much more uh, much more prominent focus at the guild on on international issues. So you, this is where you would see uh, very much you know pro Cuba type stuff, um, pro Palestinian type organizing, um, pro pro North Vietnamese, and and, po- and after nineteen seventy five post Viet pro Vietnamese um, activity. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the the trends you see af- starting in the nineteen seventies through today are are much more focused on international issues. So coming into the, into the present day, uh, where is the NLG getting its support? How influential would you say it is? And you know, what, what takeaways should our listeners have from your, uh, from your extensive history? Yeah. So the support, so the, the Guild today is a 501c4 nonprofit. So most of its funding comes from membership dues and from um, Grants and contributions and grants, and, and most of those are routed through. I think we mentioned this earlier. A C three called the National Lawyers Guild Foundation. Uh, most of the grants I found to that group are um, either donor advised funds and um, and a couple of foundations. But um, prim- you know, it's uh, primarily I think uh, the guild itself gets a, gets a lot of its support from from um, membership dues. As far as how influential they are. Um, 
you know, I think it was from about 2005 through about 2015, it was membership was pretty steady. I think it was, um, I'm gonna get the number right, but about 2,500 uh, members nationwide through you know, pretty steady through those 10 years. And then starting in about 2016, the, the election of President Trump, you start to see a dramatic increase in guild membership, a self-reported guild membership. And by, um, I think it was 2020, the guild's reporting over 9,000 members. And um, so almost for almost a you know, dramatic members. growth at, uh, in membership. And not only that, you know, everybody remembers in the summer of 2020, we had those the wave of protests and riots and all sorts of arrests that stemmed from that. You know, in their annual report from that year, the Guild, they claim, in collaboration with other groups, I think, but they claim to have um, provided legal support for something like 20,000 arrested protesters. And so that's a pretty substantial impact, I would say, you know, and I don't know what support means, you know, that could be um, just directing them to, to their local resources kind of thing. But I think that's an, that's um, quite an impact. Uh, yeah, no, and, and undoubtedly. Um, and so, I mean, I guess any, any final takeaways on, on the lawyers guild? Yeah, I think the interesting thing here is, um, it's a really good case study on how trends on the left start, you know, from 70, 80, 90 years ago are still, and, and running through the 1960s and today, they, you can kind of see these trends in multiple aspects of, of leftism, whether it be through the Guild, through um, you know, even the Antifa movement. You know, you can see these trends continue through history. And I think that's one of the, the great things about Influence Watch, actually, is we can, we can document these things and show you know, the public that this isn't coming out of nowhere, right? This is this is building on a mm-hmm. history of this sort of radicalism. And if you if you know that and you and you um, recognize those trends, you can see those playing out today in, in what in what we see. All right. Well, before we let you go, is there anything else you're working on that you'd like to promote? Um. No, no, I don't think so. Not. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will. We will. Uh, refer our listeners to that extensive Influence Watch profile uh, in today's show notes. So uh, it, the, the fruits of your, of your hard work will be available to our listeners. Uh, thanks again to my Capital Research Center colleague, Robert Stilson, for joining us. We will link to that Influence Watch profile of National Lawyers Guild in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.